Welcome to It's an EDRN. On today's episode, I am going to talk to patients, those unfortunate souls who find themselves in need of an emergency department and who seem to have no clue how things work around here. And why would you? But you will after listening to this, and with any luck, you will be a better patient for it. I'm your host, Anidi Aren, and I hope you'll stick around to listen. It's an E, it's a D, it's an E-D-R-N. it's an E, stands for emergency, it's a D, stands for department, it's an E, not erectile dysfunction, Episode 21, an EDRN wants you to be a better patient. Welcome to my podcast, It's an EDRN. I am your host, an EDRN, and today we are talking about patients. Can't live with them, can't let them die. Kidding. Patients can make your shift with one smile and a thank you or break your shift with one side eye and a do you even know what you're doing? So today, instead of talking to nurses about how to deal with the latter, I want to teach you, the patient, how to be the former, which is the smiling one, in case latter and former. Anyway, if you're new to the show, um, I have been a nurse for 11 years. I started out in med surge. I transitioned to ICU. And then for a while, a very dark period of my life, I was actually a nurse manager. And for the last 10 months, I have been back to bedside in an emergency department. And it's been eye-opening. And I have learned things that I didn't know as a nurse. And so I want to pass those things on to you, the patient, so that hopefully the next time you find yourself in an emergency department, you can navigate it a little bit better. Um, Just a disclaimer before we begin, please understand that all of this is coming from a place of love. I am trying to mitigate your expectations and in so doing save you from a certain measure of frustration, grief, and honestly, just acting a fool in public. You are an adult person So I will not mince words with you because you can take it. So let's talk about how an emergency department functions. When you enter an emergency department waiting area, all you're going to see are the other patients waiting. And you can make the assumption that that is all there is in the emergency department. But the fact is, that's just the front of the emergency department. The emergency department is set up with basically three distinctive areas. The triage area is the front where you come in as the patient who just sliced their finger off organizing their kitchen knives, which like literally happened to a patient of mine yesterday. You can also be a patient who is being seen in the emergency department, but you're actually potentially admitted. And then you would be in the first kind of back area. It's a large bay of rooms and hallway beds. And then back behind that, in the very back, is the trauma bay. And if you are someone who, instead of accidentally slicing a finger off, you were stabbed repeatedly in the abdomen, you would go in the back. 
So the fact that you were able to walk in the front or that the EMS persons that you called for your emergency brought you to the front means more than likely you are not going to die. So that is good news. The bad news there is that it's going to take hours because you are not dying. And there are people in the very back who you will never see who are literally trying to die. And then there are people in the middle who have probably been there 20, 40, up to 60 plus hours waiting either to be discharged by an ED physician or waiting for a bed in an admit unit, basically. So you're still in the front. The first thing you're going to do is get checked in. We're going to get your vitals. We're going to ask you questions about why you came into the emergency department, all with the purpose of number one, figuring out how serious are you? Did you accidentally come in the front when you needed to be in the trauma bay? Because then we'll get you right back there. And sometimes it's not obvious. People who are having stroke symptoms, people who are having heart attacks, um, have walked into the front of our emergency department. People who are septic, meaning they have an infection in their body that has spread to basically every part of their body and is going to affect all of their systems and organs, um, have walked into the front. They get rushed to the back. So if you see someone being taken back before you, even if you're looking at them and thinking, well, their hand isn't actively bleeding into a tea towel right now. What's going on? They look better than I'm doing. They could actually be very, very sick. They could be hours away from not being um, okay. And that's why they're going back before you are. So the main objective is to figure out what is going on with you, establish your vital signs, and then triage you. The emergency department is not a line at the bakery. You're not taking a number and then being seen by a physician team in that exact order. You are being triaged, which means if you've been waiting for 6, 7, 8, 10, 12 hours to get everything done and get out of there, you are very stable. And there are people much sicker than you who are getting seen before you. And that is just how it works. Sometimes patients have to wait in that line in the front. Sometimes patients are taken directly back to a room. It just depends on how serious the situation is. It also is important to note how a full hospital works. And most hospitals, most level one trauma centers, no matter where you live in the U.S., are full and are going to be full for quite some time. <laughs> it's bonkers right now. Um, I think everyone's experiencing that. So when the hospital is full, it means that every physical bed, whether it's in a room or a hallway, is occupied by a person needing medical care. Those beds are occupied. And we can't put you in that bed with that person, so we have to wait for that person to leave. They either go to a different bed and that bed becomes available, they go home, or they die. Those are the three options, um, pretty much. They can be transferred to a facility, but like that's semantics. So we have to wait for that. 
And I know that you know this, but I am going to say it anyway. Human nurses cannot magically make more beds. We do not know where your doctor is at any given point. And no matter how many of you come in through the front door, whether there are 10 of you or 60 of you, we don't get any more of us. There are usually in my triage area, three nurses and one provider and a tech if we're lucky and a person running blood. That's general staff. You have two people triaging at the same time. You have one person to pass meds on all the patients that are waiting. You have one person putting in IVs and getting lab samples from the blood. And then you have a tech to help do vital signs every couple of hours on all of the patients waiting for a room or waiting to go home. That's it. That's it. We don't get more just because more people come in. It's a weird system. I agree. Um, another thing about human nurses that it is important to understand is the work that we can and cannot do. When you come into the emergency department and we ask you all those questions and we get your vital signs, that all goes into a form. Now, there's a provider right there, usually, during the day anyway, and they are going to write some orders for you. They're going to probably put in lab orders. They're going to put in some very basic medications if you're in pain maybe or if you're nauseated. And they're going to order scans of your body, an X-ray or a CT scan, which just look at different types of tissue and bone, basically. However... That form that the nurse filled out is going to get printed out in a lot of cases, and it's going to be taken back to where all the rooms are. And it goes in a rack in the order in which it's been received or to the front if we feel like you are very, very much more sicker than all the other very, very much more sick people. <laughs> Medical term. Um, those physicians, fun fact... Also, do not multiply just because more patients show up. Those physicians are seeing all of the patients in the waiting room, and they're also seeing all the patients in hallways and in beds in the ED, and some of them are even having to run back to the trauma bay to see those patients as well. And the number of physicians we have, or the number of providers we have, because that includes nurse practitioners, is just the number we have. It does not change just because more patients come in. I know I keep saying that, but it's a very important concept to understand because it is going to frustrate you when you've been waiting a really long time. You're not being ignored. Also, your nurse has no idea where your doctor is. If your doctor is not directly in front of you, they are directly in front of another patient or they are directly in front of their computer screen. Let me explain the computers. <laughs> we are on the computers a lot. And there's a very good reason for that, and that is that none of us want to go to jail. If we do not document things correctly, if we do not justify everything that we do, every order that we order, every medication that we give, if we do not check and double-check and make sure we know what we're giving, even as nurses, we can have our licenses taken away from us. Going to jail is a little bit extreme. That doesn't happen a lot, to be honest. 
but disciplinary action against our license or being fired is not uncommon for not documenting things. The documentation of the care that we provide is very important. I cannot stress that enough. And there's a ton of it. Just a ton. And that is not your fault or my fault. It just is. The doctors are going to see you. They're going to ask you questions. They're going to order tests. Those tests get done like taking your blood. But that's not the end of that. We then have to send your blood to the lab. The lab is probably a contracted department. And depending on what hospital it's in, lab results, the way that they process and interpret what your blood is actually doing, how many red blood cells you have, how many white blood cells you have, what are your kidneys doing, what's your potassium level, what's your sodium level, all of those things have to be run through a machine and calculated and attributed to your specific chart. At our facility, that can take up to three hours for any given patient to get all the labs back. Then, when the labs come back, the physician has to interpret them. The nurse has to look at them and validate them. Again, there's a lot of you patients and a lot of labs being run and results are coming back and they have to be interpreted. Sometimes if the ED physician, because there are a lot of labs that can mean a lot of different things, there's ranges. It's not just this or that. It's medicine. It's a science and it's a practice. Sometimes they have to consult other physicians to interpret very specific lab results to make sure that they are treating you appropriately. It is. There is a reason doctors go to college for eight years and then have to do four years of residency before they can actually be done with their learning. There is a reason nurses predominantly have to go to college for four years and then do a residency before they can practice nursing. It's complicated and it takes time. You get an x-ray, the x-ray is done, but then that x-ray goes to the radiologist. The radiologist has to interpret your x-ray and write a report. Then that report has to go to the physician. The physician has to read the report and interpret, yes, the report. And then try and figure out what that means in the presence of all the symptoms that you've come in with. It's very complicated. It takes time. We are being thorough. We are being safe, and we are extremely liable for what happens to you, <laughs> for every little thing that happens and that we do. Nurses cannot prescribe medications. They can't. If you, as the patient, see me come out and give someone medicine and you think, ah, that nurse can get me a pain pill too, I cannot. I can ask your doctor for a pain pill, but again, there's 30, 40, 50, 60 of you and one of me. I do not remember your name because I have just cycled through probably 10, 15, 20 people since I saw you last. And then I have to figure out who your doctor is. You may not even have a doctor yet. Because again, your chart is sitting in a rack waiting to be grabbed by a physician who already has 10, 15, 20 other patients. This is the healthcare system I'm describing here, people. 
again, it's nobody's fault except the people whose fault it is <laughs> and they need to fix it. And that's not you or I. So unfortunately, some rules. As frustrated as you're going to be, because you're probably hurting, you're probably scared, this is probably not a place you're familiar with, do not yell at us. Do not unload your frustration on a nurse. I know we're young. I know most of us are female. I know we're easy targets, culturally speaking. Do not yell at us. If you have to say, I'm not yelling, please know that you are yelling. <laughs> and I do feel threatened. And when you're doing that, my body is releasing adrenaline as you sit there or stand there and shout. My fight or flight is engaged. And the clarity with which I have been able to do my job up to this point, which includes taking care of you, has been disrupted. And I am now at an increased risk for making a mistake that could threaten my license. Don't yell at us. That being said, if you feel like you're not being treated well, if you feel like you've been forgotten about, you haven't, but if you, if you just feel like maybe you are the one person that has slipped through the cracks, <laughs> it is okay to say, excuse me, and ask specifically for what you need. There are circumstances in our modern hospital system and the reality of understaffing and overcrowding and the general lack of primary care for people in this country, a country that makes money off of sick and vulnerable people that potentially you have been waiting for something that could be sped up with a little push here or a little suggestion there or texting a doc there. But please make your needs known without yelling, without venting frustration, which takes up a lot of unnecessary time. And also be aware of your surroundings because there are other people around you. And I promise most days we are going as fast as we can because we are invested in getting you out of here almost as invested as you are to get out of there. <laughs> we do not want an overcrowded waiting room. It's unsafe. So we're going to do everything we can to get you through there as quickly and safely as possible. We, are, we all have the same goal here. A final word on human nurses, if I may. We are people. We're smart. Some of us are on our third, fourth, or fifth 12-hour shift in a row. Um, and people pick up extra shifts for a variety of reasons, because the pay is inadequate, um, because it's an expectation of a travel contract, because um, the nurse may work for FEMA, who requires six, seven shifts in a row. Um, another thing about nurses, we have the highest rate of work-related suicide of any profession. We have the highest rate of workplace assault of any profession. We pee once, maybe twice in a 12-hour shift, and we get 30 minutes to eat one meal in that same period of time. We chose this job because we thought we'd like it. 
And some of us do and some of us don't. But unlike other professions, we're not allowed to just be mediocre at our jobs. We have to be great. We have to go above and beyond. And that's the expectation. And it is unreasonable. The level of hypervigilance that it takes to ensure no harm comes to our patients, to you, as a result of shitty orders from inexperienced doctors, med airs, missing supplies, understaffing, overcrowding, violent patients, it's astronomical. I have walked out of a room where I just watched a person die despite my best efforts and had another patient yell at me because I hadn't brought them the sandwich I promised them. True story. I'm not asking you to do anything about all of this. I am asking you to be aware of it and act accordingly. I know you can do it. So here's something we do on the show called tips and tricks. And here are some things to help you as a patient make it through your next ED visit. Tip number one, expect a long wait and plan accordingly if you are able. If you are coming in the front door, even if you've called EMS and you are still able to be mobile or someone near you is able to help you, bring a phone, bring a phone charger, and bring some water and snacks. Do not eat them. Do not drink your water until you have asked the nurse if you can. Some tests and some procedures can only be done on an like they can only be done safely on an empty stomach, basically. So please check in before you do that. Tip number two. Be specific with your needs. Asking a random nurse who has come out to help another patient how much longer is really just a way of saying it's been too long, can you make it faster? To which I would say it's been exactly as long as it takes and no, I cannot make it faster. I cannot make more beds. I cannot make more doctors. I cannot make more nurses and I can't make any of those people faster at their job. Nor would I want to. They're going as fast as they safely can. So find a way to advocate for yourself as a patient without being passive aggressive. You can say something like, excuse me, I'm concerned about how long it's taking because I have a dog at home who needs to be let out. That's a very appropriate way to make your concerns know. I know where you're coming from now and it's, it, it helps me understand where your head's at. Also, if you're coming to the ED and you can at all, arrange for someone to let your dog out. Tip number three, obey the rules. Please understand that if a rule seems stupid, it's probably because somebody died. I'm not joking. (laughs) In our ED waiting room, we are not allowed to give patients blankets. And the reason we're not allowed to give blankets out is because one time a guy under a blanket died and no one knew for, we estimate, 30 minutes to an hour. And he was CPR'd, you know, resuscitated right there in the middle of the waiting room. And it was really bad. And he was dead, dead, fully dead. So now no one gets a blanket. <laughs> and I know that seems dumb, but some rules are a mix of safety that, you may not have any insight into because you don't work in a hospital or maybe you do and you still don't have any insight into it. And that's okay that that's not, that's not a criticism. And other things might be regulations by the hospital, by the state, 
federal regulations, um, other things like don't eat or drink, you know, are because we don't know if we need to do a procedure on you where having a full stomach would predispose you to aspiration. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a lot and I get it, but somebody died and now nobody gets a blanket. And finally, I have one trick. Every time you feel frustrated or angry while waiting for your nurse, your doctor, your food tray, <laughs> just repeat to yourself, I feel anger and frustration because I am hungry and have no food. I also recognize that I am part of a greater whole and my discomfort in this moment may be saving someone else's life. I will endure and make my needs known at the next opportunity. That's kind of long, so you can shorten it if you want, but something to that effect. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. If so, please tell your friends to listen to it. Future patients should know how to have a better experience in the ED. We're all in this together. Expect to be frustrated on your next visit and treat your nurses and other healthcare workers with kindness and respect while also recognizing that they have no power to change either your circumstances or the way that you feel. Thank you for listening and have a safe life. It's an EDRN is written and produced by me. Our senior editor is me. The theme song is written and performed by, tragically, also me. All views and opinions expressed in this podcast are my own and do not reflect the standards and positions of any healthcare entity that I may or may not be working for. Although I am a nurse, things I say in this podcast are not a stand-in for professional medical advice and everything you hear from randos on the internet should absolutely be validated across multiple other reliable sources.